This is the PropTech VC Podcast. We give you unique insights into how innovative technologies are disrupting real estate. We interview top entrepreneurs, investors, and knowledgeable experts to share the inside scoop in this fast-moving industry. It's hosted by leading PropTech VC, Zane Jaffer. Let's dive into today's content. And look, I'm not necessarily suggesting everyone should own their own home or even that everyone should own 100% of their own uh, yeah. home, right? There are certain cases where it might make sense to be a, a, a renter, but there's no disputing the, the metric you just laid out. The key to building wealth is to own your own home. And I love the psychology of it where you, where you even allude to it's forcing you to save. Financial discipline is something that lacks. And this is why renters are very unbankable. It's hard to sell products to them because they're just in the mindset of doing the way you, you do. And it's a lot easier because human beings are so adaptable. It's a lot easier to just adapt to a, a change in uh, your living costs and yep. you know just keep spending, spending, spending. But forcing yourself to save is very unnatural and you have to... Uh, you know, you have to do the uncomfortable thing, right? Easy to spend, easy to take on more debt. It's a lot harder to save your money and be disciplined and cut back. And I think for, for young people who are early in their careers, it's probably the single most powerful thing they can do is to either save up some of the percentage of their income and save for that down payment for the home or, you know, invest in a 401k or, or in, do some type of investment, right? And let it compound over time. Yeah, if I could, you know, if I could go back, right? So I, you know, I started living in San Francisco in 2008. And, um, you know, back then I was living in, a, you know, in an area called as, you know, Soma or South of Market. Um, yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, I see that in 2008, nobody wanted to live there. It was, you know, it was almost like a ghost part of the city. You only had some offices, but not a lot of residential construction there. And fast forward 13 years, it's one of the hottest real estate markets in San Francisco over the past decade. And I tell myself, if I could go back and you know somehow put fifty thousand or hundred thousand dollars down and buy even a two-bedroom condo there, uh, the value would have doubled, if not tripled, over 13 years easily, right? So I completely agree with you. I, like I think getting on that path to home ownership makes a ton of sense. The good thing today is that the market has tremendous options for consumers, right? You have companies that, that enable you with down payment assistance. You have companies that do things like rent to own. You like, and you have a variety of options, including like an FHA loan with 3% down to really get started. And I think once people get started, then it creates that discipline that you are talking about. Yeah, and the other fact that I try to really get my head around is, yes, your net worth grows, at the end of the day, once you've owned your home, but you're still only able to stay in the home that you've owned. And as you want to jump to another home, you've got to sell your home at the market price and buy another home at a market price. And if you want to move upwards and you want to expand, it's tough. So the trick is finding out how to do uh, own your own home, but also save enough money to uh, you know buy at least one of the piece of real estate. That way you're, you're, you're growing faster than the market's growing. You know, otherwise, yeah. If, if, yeah. For at least if you want to buy a new home, because, you know, you hear stories of someone who says, you know, I bought this home for $50,000 and they sell it for $300,000 later. Right. But the new home they want to move to costs 500,000. That 200,000 is a massive Delta. It's like, okay, the lifestyle didn't change much. So the, the trick is figure out how to save and become an investor rather than a spender and paying someone else's mortgage as a yep. renter. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I think we see that with some of our clients where, uh, 
you know, one way to do that is to say, like I'm in home A and I want to buy home B, you could leverage the equity of home A yes. in order to purchase home B. And that way you don't have to sell home A, right? You know, so you can, you can keep your first home and you can utilize the appreciation and the equity of your first home to put the down payment for your second home. You move into the second home because you can afford the mortgage and then you can rent your first home because keeping in mind, you don't have to own 100% of that home either. As long as you have majority of the ownership, you can rent that property and then somebody else is paying your mortgage on the first property while you are living in the second home and hopefully say moving up, you know, in terms of the type of home and the neighborhood that you want to live in as well. Yeah. You know, um, I was looking through some stats of home ownership and uh, only 65% of Americans and speaking of the UK, 63% of the population owns a home where you contrast that to other nations. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily saying it's too low because you, you could look at North Korea where it's zero, but that's a horrendous example, right? You could look at a, you could look at Japan, 61%, or you could look at a Germany, 51%, right? But then on the other spectrum, and this is interesting, right? India, 86.6% home ownership. And although this is out of date data, and I have heard some people lie about home ownership to avoid rental tax, but you know, China, 89%. Um, a lot of a lot of countries you wouldn't expect home ownership to be high in Romania ninety six percent allegedly, uh, Russia eighty seven percent. Any any global trends you're seeing with regards to home ownership? Like I think like if you look at the examples of the countries you mentioned, right? India, China. Um, I think a lot of those countries kind of having that you know immigrant mentality, if you may, right? Which is the forced savings and uh, you know they you know they they often talk about you should only spend as much as you own. You should not overstretch yourselves. And I think- yeah, well, my, my favorite quote, always live below your means. Yes, right. Uh, you know, and to that extent, I think that creates that discipline of savings, uh, you know, in those countries. I think that there are two more trends here, right? One is, you know, I can talk from the experience in India, a lot of children end up living with their parents even when they are adults, right? So unlike the US or the UK or developed nations, when you know, like say once they go to college at 18, they mostly get out of the house, right? You know, and then they start paying for themselves, which is great in its own self. In India, a lot of the time, the adult children are living with their parents, you know, say late into their 20s up until they are not married. And what's happening then is the five, 10 years you were working, but living at home with your parents, you essentially are saving money because you are not paying, you know, you know, in dollar terms, thousands of dollars in rent every month that creates a significant amount of savings. So when you're looking to buy your home, it's easy to do that. So I think that's definitely one aspect that happens in places like India. And I, 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 I got to say, it's a very American mentality not to do that. It's an American or a Western mentality to leave the home as soon as you can. I mean, I come from an Indian family as well. And nearly every one of the, uh, the older generation lived with their parents or they would have a marriage and one of the children would move to the, you know, uh, the in-laws home and it's just the way things are done it's it's bizarre and controversial uh, i had to fight quite hard to gain the freedom and independence to go get my own place as a rental um yeah. it, it's a challenge especially for immigrants right who are first born um maybe in the country or they're, they're immigrants and they're trying to wrestle with the the eastern tradition of staying with your parents and staying with your family versus going out being free and renting. Yes, and I think 
The other trend there that the the countries you mentioned, like so Germany, you, you know, US and UK, where home ownership rate is lower than some of the other places, is because, yeah. like I think, like in these countries, access to access to credit is relatively easy, right? Mm. So, you know, so it's like it's kind of cheaper for people to just even live on their own because even if all of their money is going towards rent, they have access to credit cards, personal loans, and other things to actually supplement that lifestyle. So the countries that have the most advanced, you know, capital markets and mortgage, you know, debt markets have a lower home ownership rate as compared to India, China, Romania, and Russia, who don't have the most advanced mortgage and capital markets there. But the forced, you know, discipline, the early, the early savings actually contribute to a higher home ownership rate, right? So I think they've had multiple aspects here at play. Yeah, I totally agree. Very good observations. Now, what do people and um, what what why do you advocate for people to tap equity from their home? Your whole company is yep. built around this thesis. Maybe we can talk through some of the reasons why people would want to tap into uh, the equity they've built in their home. Absolutely. So I think uh, so. Before I jump into specifically, you know, why people tap into the equity, I'll take a step back and say, you know, what Noah does, right? So, sure. uh, you know, we started as a company to say. We want to build a modern approach to housing finance. Your housing finance has traditionally been a debt-based approach in the U.S. We want to bring a modern approach to that because, like as I said earlier, I said debt works, you know, but there are times when you need more options than that. So what we do today is we have two we have two unique financial products. We have one that helps people buy homes through a partnership-based model, and then we have one which helps existing homeowners to pull the equity out. In both cases, what Noah is able to do is to say, the home buyer or the homeowner, they need liquidity, they need cash at a point in time. We provide them with the cash and we don't charge them any interest or any monthly payments. So think about it like an interest-free, payment-free loan essentially, even though it's not debt. And in exchange, we share in a portion of the future appreciation of the house. So if the value of the house goes up over time, Noah benefits from that appreciation. And if the value of the home goes down, we also take the downside risk with consumers. It's almost like you're buying a share of their home in return to give them cash. They don't have to sell their home outright. Exactly. Or go through a traditional refinancing process. They don't have to pay it back. They just give up future profits in the property. Is yes. That- yeah, so that's exactly okay. the way we think about it. You know, and that's the analogy I gave earlier where Apple can issue some shares and get some cash and use it to generate a return for themselves. Our homeowner partners can do the same thing. They can get access to their home equity through NOAA. They don't have to worry about making a payment on it every month. And in exchange, they are giving up a small portion of the future appreciation of the house, essentially. Now, why are people doing this? Why are they giving up precious equity in their home that they work so hard to build? Uh, You would think, and I know this is not the case, or at least if it is the case, it's not the majority use case, it's a minority use case, but it's the last resort of financing and they're in trouble or they've got other debts to pay and they just have, you know, it's a last resort situation. That's what comes to mind for a lot of people when they hear something like, you know, tap into your precious home equity. Maybe you could give us an example of what, uh, maybe you could shed light on that and also what the more generic use cases are. Of course. So I'll talk about the home equity access product that we have, right? This is this is helping people who who tap into the equity. So a classic case is you're an, you're an existing homeowner 
you bought your home, say, for half a million dollars, you know, say five, 10 years ago, you had a mortgage on that house. You, you know, fast forward today, the house is worth a million dollars. So you've seen tremendous appreciation and your mortgage is now only, say, 300,000. So you have 700,000 of equity in your home. The reality is back in the days, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you could walk into a big bank and get a home equity loan pretty easily or a HELOC. But most of the big banks have now pulled back from the HELOC market and no longer make those, you know, variable rate loans, essentially. And they're very hard to qualify for, too, I understand. You need to have excellent credit. Yeah, you know, you know, it's essentially a black box, right? So you have to have a 740 plus FICO score. You have to have a very low debt to income, which means they don't want life to happen to you. Because once you buy a home, you, you have a family, you have rising expenses. So what ends up happening is that this individual, this homeowner, is what we at NOAA call being asset rich and cash poor. They are asset rich because they have 700,000 of equity. They are cash poor because even if they make $100,000, $150,000 of household income, like between husband and wife and two children, all of that money goes away because they have, they have a mortgage, student loans, kids' education, so on and so forth. So this is the profile of somebody who is a part of a growing family who comes to NOAA and says, I would like $100,000 because I'm thinking of doing some you know, home improvement work. Or I want to invest in a small business because I'm a business owner, I want to invest in my small business. They can't get a home renovation loan without increasing their monthly payment. And they already are, are maxed out on credit cards or something else. So they are looking at NOAA and say, this is a great way I get to tap into my equity. I don't have to make any payments to NOAA for the next five, 10 years easily. And if the house appreciates in value, NOAA takes a minority stake. Majority of the appreciation still stays with the homeowners essentially. And that is why people are working with us. Uh, they don't view us as a partner of last resort. In fact, in many cases, we have clients who have like FICO scores of 720, 780, 820, they like the fact that there is no payment with no one. It's about cash flow. At the end of the day, we drive successful financial outcomes for consumers by improving their cash flow situation, which is the number one thing that they want to optimize for.